So in an ideal picture, what would a well-functioning country look like? What would be the main ingredients? I would think about universal healthcare. How about students that get paid to study and mothers and fathers that can split paternal leave almost equally? Finland has made all of this reality and it shows. Number one world's happiest country. Number one environmentally healthy country. Number one best education system in the world and I could go on. Helsinki as Finland's capital is the country's economic and cultural backbone. Around 650,000 people shape the world's most functional city, which is also the title of Helsinki's city strategy. Emphasizing quality of life and the intent to do things a little bit better every time, it ranks among the safest, most future-minded and startup-friendly cities in the world, despite its size. In a recent marketing campaign, Helsinki claims to be the first quote-unquote city as a service on a mission to motivate, guide and help international tech talents feel at home in Helsinki. Slush, the yearly startup event where investors and founders gather, is a testament to these ambitions. I'm Simon, welcome to The Idealists, where Celia and I talk to inspiring leaders about their way towards a better future. This time we went way up north to meet the mayor of Helsinki, Jan Vapavori. The former Minister of Economic Affairs assumed office in 2017. He thinks that a good life is a combination of tangible, like housing, transportation, jobs and infrastructure, and intangible things like a sense of trust in community, equality and closeness to nature. But facing challenges like an aging population, geopolitical shifts and a climate crisis, we asked, how much of an idealist must one be to build and run the world's most functional city? A lot. Uh, my favorite quote comes from 2,300 years ago. It was the Greek philosopher Aristotle who said that people move into cities in order to earn their living and get a job, but they stay there in order to live a good life. And I think that that is still valid, that a successful city has to be dynamic in order to create a, a good environment for, for business and in order to make it possible to get a job and earn a living. But then ultimately the cities are for good life. And I think that is a very idealistic uh, point of view, uh, which actually is becoming more and more important in, in today's world. So uh, we do have a very comprehensive approach, very holistic view. And actually I think that that is actually the biggest secret behind the Nordic model. It's not only Helsinki, it's also Stockholm, Oslo, Copenhagen, who are gaining a lot in today's world. And it is not because of equality itself, uh, that is a part of it, but a, a holistic view. And as I used to say, that we and I love to make some marketing for Stockholm and Copenhagen and Oslo as well, that our biggest strength is that we have a lot of strengths and not that much weaknesses. And would you say the Finnish um, values of trust and equality and individualism is the foundation for this ambitious vision? When we were writing our strategy and planning it for two years ago, and we were, actually I was wondering which would be a good topic for that one. Uh, I, I like... I thought that, of course, we want to be a sustainable city. We want to be a green city, and we are that. But then somehow we understood that Copenhagen already took that. Claimed that. Claimed that. Yeah, uh, right. They had branded it right. already. Then uh, we thought that, of course, we would like to love to be a smart city as well. And then we understood that maybe it's already reserved for Singapore or some other cities in the Asian. 
And then we fought and fought and fought. Then I said, okay, let's be the most functional city in the world. I fully understand that it's not maybe the most media sexy in mm-hmm. today's world, but what I think it's that it's it's really relevant. That if uh, in today's world, uh, unstable world, if you have a place, a city which is reliable, predictable, functional, where people do not have to uh, use that much time and energy uh, in, in in different kind of cues and with red tape, it's it's actually luxury, and and that is actually a good basis. For, for the equality of, of life. Combined with that, or actually linked to that, I do think that in today's, like the Nordic cities, Nordic societies have always had those kind of strengths, which you mentioned, built on trust, equality, functionality, uh, clean, uh, safe, and so on. But they have maybe not been valued that high uh, so far. But the more crazy the world gets, uh, the more unstable it gets, actually, the more attention is, is paid to this kind of values where we always have been strong. And now, like our mission is to build on that because functionality, I think, is a great, great basis for any place or any city, but that's not good enough. And I think that you need to be fun and functional at the same time. And then there is maybe the, the most difficult part of the story. You talk about the the good life in the city and um, also formulate this as th- that the city has to kind of better itself over time to always striving become to become a better and more livable place for the people. And if we dive into one of these topics, which is um, the, the real quality of living here, what would you say is the main or one of the main points why people come to Helsinki and why they stay? Actually, the problem is that they are not coming here. The, the advantage is, is that if they come, then they stay. Mm-hmm. You have to make them come here in the first place. Yeah. So it, it's partly a marketing issue. And I mean, my headache has been for a long time that I do think that we have more or less all the strengths which Stockholm and Copenhagen have, but we are not that well known. And that's why uh, we are a little bit lagging behind those cities when we are trying to attract talents and so on. But then on the other hand, We have also, I mean, even studies that if they come and if foreigners come and when they come, they stay here. So we have the fifth biggest EU agency, the EU chemical agency in, in town, and they have the, the lowest uh, turnover b- b- within their personnel. So all the Europeans who have who came to Helsinki for 10 years ago, they have stayed here uh, better than in any other agency in, in the, the whole Europe. So, I mean, for us, you could say that... Uh, When people give us a chance, we will do it quite well. But in today's world, it's also a marketing issue. And there we haven't been that that good. Also, maybe due to a, a shorter history compared mm-hmm. to our Nordic mm-hmm. peers. In my personal opinion, my personal views, you are actually very good in that in that marketing, on that marketing side. Because if I think... We like, have been good during the maybe last two, three years. Okay, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's a, a short story. Yes. Right, right. Because um, one one thing I can remember and one thing which led to that interview actually is this uh, city as a service kind of campaign, which is also with a kind of a, a wink towards the tech industry and towards kind of the pitch towards uh, tech entrepreneurial people coming to, to Helsinki. Is this something you see you have to do more of and, and being approachable Absolutely. in that sense? The, this reminds me of my, when I took office as a mayor for a little bit more than two years ago, I started a tradition that 
more or less every month I, I host one dinner for, for some group of people coming from some sector. And the very first one was for the Startup Society. And I started asking them uh, what could the city do in order to help them. And after that, we discussed three hours how they could help the city, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually uh, highlighting one of the strengths that we are a, a family, we are a society, we are like small enough uh, and we have that kind of mentality that we understand that only cooperating together uh, is, is a way to, to success. And they are actually, even this city as a service uh, exercise is a good example of that kind of, of, of uh, cooperation. It was actually a initiative by the Finnish startup, mm-hmm. Helsinki Startup Society, that they, uh, I mean, everywhere in the world today, maybe excluding Silicon Valley, that we have problems in attracting uh, coders and, and that kind of talented people, and started that city as a service, uh, say, marketing campaign, actually, together with the city of, of Helsinki, which actually was a huge success. We reached more than one million people. We got 7,000 applications mm-hmm. where the um, first prize was only three days in Helsinki. <laughs> of course, right. during Slash, which is a, a quite uh, I mean, interesting event, but anyhow, so yeah, it's true that into, it's a, a highly competitive world. And, and, and um, even if we ourselves, we do think that everyone knows how good we are, that's not, mm-hmm. that's not true. And would you say, I mean, it's Helsinki is a historic city, but you have a startup mind? Yeah, you could say that. I'd like to come back to that. But what I, uh, if I still go back to serious service exercise, I think it's it's also like, I don't think it could happen anywhere else in the world that the startup society themselves uh, market Helsinki for the city with the best work-life balance in the world. So, I mean... With like very soft values, if you could say. It's kind of a controversial view almost. In, in It's a world. little bit controversial yeah. in the startup society. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that is really a, a, so, say a proof of, of how high we value quality of life. I mean, the world is full of all kind of rankings. But as I used to say that I'm most proud of the ranking, not to be the most honest um, city in the world or being the most functional one, but being the pl- best place to raise, to raise a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of issues. And I think that they are absolutely gaining more importance in the future. And now I already forgot your Yeah, uh, if your you're question. a... His- <laughs> it seems like you're in a historic city. Yeah. But have a startup mind. Mm, yes, but uh, to be honest, that's quite new. I used to be the Minister of Economy years ago and I, I know quite well that the the industrial structure of Finland was very much based on on big big companies. So uh, the 10 or 20 biggest companies stood for a a bigger share of of everything in Finland compared to more or less any country in the world. We had um, our big forest companies, we had some in the metal industry and then of course we had Nokia. Mm-hmm. But the collapse of Nokia or actually the 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 mobile devices division was a wake-up call for the whole society. I mean, every, say, backlash has also given a birth for a new start. And, and all of a sudden, we had thousands of experienced, internationally-oriented former Nokia employees without a job. And that is actually the basis for our very vibrant startup uh, society. And then, then all of a sudden, it became the, the like more or less most lucrative um, career path 
for university students across most of the biggest cities in 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 Finland, not only in Helsinki. So so we are very proud of it. But to be honest, it's a very young phenomenon. But you have to start somewhere. Absolutely, <laughs> and then uh, we, we, you could also say that they they don't have the the pain of the a long lasting history which some other sectors have if you talk about this this as a new phenomenon in the, in the city and you said the collapse of nokia contributed to that but also i again my personal view is that there's a lot of uh, things going on within the education sector within the university towards uh, collaborations with businesses or bringing the the students starting their own businesses i i suspect this is also something new but I think the the kind of incubation time from investing into education and then getting the profit in you know people starting businesses is longer than just a few years, is it? From the very beginning, it was two years ago when we celebrated our 100 years anniversary. From the very beginning, we understood in Finland that actually the only natural resource we have is 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 the human resource. And from the very beginning, we were like forced to build. On, on people and on, on, on education. So you could say that in today's world, we could say that we are very proud of being among the most equal countries in the world, uh, having the best school system in the world, uh, covering the whole population. But from the very beginning, it actually had a more selfish like motivation mm-hmm. where we understood that the, our only chance is to educate our people. Uh, as a small country, we have to educate everyone, the whole population. So yes, you could say that we have been working on a good school system for the last hundred years. Uh, it, it was not something like uh, innovated two years or five years or even 20 years ago, but very long time year ago. Coming to that and, and combining that with the story of the startups, I remember then when we discussed with the startup society, I asked them that if there's something we could help you with, what would it be? And they said that even if we have the best education in the world, our problem is that we do not have enough of English schools in the in the city. And they asked us to to how about having a little bit more sweet, uh, English primary schools as well as kindergartens. And then we decided in our strategy to do, to do double it. So I mean, even there, they they first point was to make our strength an even bigger strength and 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 pay attention to education. Then, of course, yes, one of the actually biggest reasons behind the, the success of Nokia was a especially good cooperation between the city, university, and the business society. So even there, we have a tradition of, of being maybe the, the country with the lowest barrier between the business society and, and the, the public sector. And we have been building on that uh, during during ages. And of course, we are doing it still in a little bit different kind of world, of course. Turning that view a little bit around and, and to your to your daily job, actually. Um, if you talk about strategies, it's mostly about how you as a city can allocate resources to induce something to grow, right? Um, and that's pretty much is the same in as in a business, right? It's, it's the same kind of mindset and the same approach. How would you say does your job differ from like as a kind of manager of the city or a, the, the CEO of a city versus a mayor of a city? Is there a differentiation? And if yes, how? I've been a, a minister for seven years. I've been a CEO, of, though only for a small small company, and I have to say that as a mayor, my job is much much closer 
uh, the job of a CEO of a private company than a minister. The city is a very complex, big institution or organ or whatsoever you would like to call that, which is by nature very operative. Um, and there is a huge difference between being a minister uh, who is more or less moving on the strategy level all the time than being a mayor where you are responsible for the everyday uh, life and, and the working uh, public services. So as I used to say, each and every day we teach kids, each and every day we take care of the elderly, each and every day we take care of the, of the streets and problems linked to, to those. So, so actually you could say that 80% of my job is something which is totally unpolitical. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes comes from Fiorella Lagardia, a former New York mayor, who said that there is not a Republican or Democratic way to cleaning the streets. And then, of course, you have also the political layer. But uh, that is actually not dominating at all in my job. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, when I talk to the press and, and when they quote me, the, the angle is maybe a little bit different. But, but still, I think I, I'm most proud of the fact that the strategy of the city was unanimously approved by the city council. And how much would you say is strategy making and how much is execution, putting ideas into action? I believe in the American quote saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. We have even highlighted in our strategy that the organizational culture is actually more important than the strategy itself. And when I talk to my people, we are the biggest employer in the whole country with 37,000 employees, that if each and every one of you would be a little bit more service-oriented, a little bit more international, a little bit more agile, we would not need a strategy at all. So uh, I I believe that, of course, you need a vision, you need a a mission, you need uh, uh, like the, the big picture. But then uh, it, it's mostly about just clever, brave, uh, agile execution. If you think about that in a way that you as are kind of the CEO of the city and there are other CEOs of the cities in the Nordics, kind of CEO means also you're in com- kind of in competition with, with other CEOs in that sense or with other companies. How would you see that? Is this really, are you, are you feeling that competitive approach to comparing yourselves and trying to find advantages in the Nordics versus in the world? Is this really how it how it works? Or are you more or less on your own trying to kind of look for yourself how you can improve on your own? Both. Both. I think that some of the, say, most catastrophic and most irritating uh, events in, in the, the short-term history the, the election of the current American president or the Brexit vote in UK has actually both put the Nordic model on, on the table. The more crazy the, the world gets, the more people, clever people, reasonable people are actually starting to value those kind of issues where we have always been good. So you could say that we have a common interest with all the Nordic countries, including maybe Netherlands, uh, maybe also some other countries, but especially the Nordic countries. So you could say that uh, if and when the world is becoming even more crazy, the, the 
uh, other side of the coin is that the Nordic capitals are gaining a lot. But then at the same time, of course, it's true that if, for example, a huge um, multinational company is putting up a regional headquarter, they could only put it in one Scandinavian city. Mm -hmm. So we are competing with each other at the same time when still the big picture is that the better cooperation we do, the more all of us gain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have actually a quite close relation to the mayors of all those cities, uh, uh, Stockholm, Oslo, and Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. This is also has to do with your kind of bilingual upbringing and with that connection of Finland as a kind of a bilingual country in, in that sense as well. And I, I'm even more because my mother was Swedish, yeah. so I speak. Actually, I, I learned Swedish before I learned Finnish. I think, yeah, that's that's interesting view on, on again, on that kind of competitiveness bet between the cities, because as you said, drawing attention to, to your city as a... Uh, as a competitive edge is something that you've been maybe missing out on and trying to, trying to gain traction on that. But actually, I think that um, Copenhagen and, and Stockholm both, they are twice as big as Helsinki. And they have a much longer history and they are better known. But then, of course, we also have some strengths they do not have. Uh, first of all, of course, we are closer to Russia. We are closer to Asia. We have a geographical advantage as far as, as Asia and China is concerned. And then I dare to say that we are more functional and we are, in, in that sense, we are even better than, than our, our neighbors. And just giving one example, one of my pitch when I travel abroad is Helsinki is a city which is big enough in order to enable pilots and demonstrations on systemic level but at the same time, small enough and functional enough to, to, to make that really happen and make it feasible. And one example of that, uh, which took place here some months ago, was that I was actually the very first person in the world who received a lunch delivery by a drone in a city. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason was that a alphabet company, Wing, um, after piloting their the drone deliveries in the Australian countryside, they wanted to come to a city and test how it works there. Right. And they decided to do it in Helsinki. And uh, there I think that we have a big advantage that Helsinki is of a, a optimal size and also being that functional. Uh, so you can actually test. And I think that in the future we will be a test base for many mm. uh, big innovations where you have to test somewhere before you can go to London or Paris or... Right. or, or Moscow. Mm -hmm. The taps again in that in that spectrum of the tech funnel from or well, the tech bridge between the US also and, and Helsinki and uh, talking about advantages or strengths is you mentioned Slush before. Slush is like the startup event. I think in my in my view, it's the first time where people are not getting on a plane to to gain inspiration from Silicon Valley, but the other way around. They, there are people boarding planes to fly to Finland to Helsinki in November and getting inspiration there. So is this kind of a beacon in that kind of whole startup world where you can see, okay, this is actually where we put our cards on the table and, and allocate our resources there? The secret behind the Schloss is not that it would be the biggest startup event in the world. It's among the biggest one, but that is not the secret. We have put it in our strategy actually that what we are and what we think that we are and what we would like to be is that we are a perfect combination of rational functionality and original roughness. And there I dare to say that if you want to go to Berlin without going to Berlin, you should come to Helsinki. That we have a little bit of that kind of like crazy mentality 
Uh, don't taking things that seriously. Being brave enough to do it differently. We are not trying to do events like they do it in, in New York or Barcelona or Stockholm. We do it in our own way. And there Slash has like managed to do it in a very interesting, uh, lucrative way. Mm-hmm. Has this helped as well to um, the city strategy, the conference itself? Of course, the, the you could say that the, the main role for the city then still is to provide people with good services. And uh, that is the basis for everything we do. We take care of the schools, uh, healthcare centers, uh, streets, and so on. And they are actually quite far from the SLAS uh, world. Um, but then at the same time, we need to understand that we are living in a world where new technologies is disrupting more or less everything. And that we have that, uh, like, history of being a tech-oriented place. Uh, we have the mentality of early adapters, and then we have the slush society reminding us more or less every day that the world tomorrow will, will be different than today. Makes it most probably uh, easier for us to adapt to a uh, future which we, of course, do not know yet. And you also have, um, because of slush, many pioneers from different industry coming to Helsinki and kind of yeah experience all the qualities you offer with uh, within public transportation security and I think that also puts Helsinki on on a global map yeah and I mean definitely and here we come once again to the fact that we are not that well known that Stockholm or Copenhagen I mean most Americans business leaders or investors have been in Stockholm or Copenhagen but they haven't been in Helsinki and they may have some prejudices concerning the city. But after visiting, more or less every one of them have a better picture of the city than before. So, of course, you could say that due to SLAS, we are able to get really influential people to the country and the city, which otherwise would not come. We talked a lot about the features in, in to stay in the city as a service lingo uh, of the city. And of course, there's also bugs. And we talked about one bug, which is the kind of the missing um, outreach, the missing knowledge of the uh, of the city. What are other sectors where you see this is something we have to put a lot of work in? I think that our biggest weakness is still that we're not international enough. I mean, even if SLAS is a success story, and even if we have uh, some startups, um, Supercell and so on, which are success stories, and they have been like good enough to attract international talents, still our challenge and problem is that we are much less international than, than Stockholm and Copenhagen. And I mean, just some few good success stories is, is not good enough. And there we have a, a lot to do in, in order to make the city more international. Because I believe that a country and a, a like Finland or a city like Helsinki, we could only be good in, in, in sectors and businesses of like really high quality labor and, and, and high value added. We can never be good in mass production. It needs to be something really, really special. And they're the biggest innovations in today's world are always taking place where, where people from different kind of cultures meet each other. Mm. You just need to be able to create a, a dynamic society where young, hungry, talented people from all around the world meet. Mm-hmm. And, and we have been good in that, but not good enough. And it, that is still, 
the, the biggest challenge. Another one is that we have maybe not been good enough in order to utilize the geographical advantage we have vis-a-vis Asia. So, so uh, just to give you an example, the very first commercial flight between China and Europe took place between Helsinki and, and Beijing. Uh, we have uh, more direct flights to China and to Japan than any other air company in the whole Europe, except I think Lufthansa and British Airways, despite of our small size. And taking into account that if there's something which is growing in the world is is China. Uh, And we have some Chinese investments. We have a lot of Chinese tourists in Helsinki, but still we should be better in utilizing our unique position. We talked about kind of competing against other maybe Nordic cities, But if we look at the world as a whole, then it's also about realizing we have to uh, collaborate to get um, to solutions that actually solve the most pressing global problems, which seems as a challenge itself. How do you see collaborations with other cities regarding global problems that we are facing? I actually spend a lot of time abroad, even that much that. Some people are paying attention to that. I strongly believe that we are witnessing an era in the world history of a growing importance and role of cities due to several reasons. And what we see today is actually that cities are partnering and networking with each other in a little bit in the same way that nation states did maybe 400 years ago. And in, within that field, the city of Helsinki is very, very active. So during only my term, the last two years, we have been able to to make new connections and starting new collaborations with cities like London, New York, Barcelona, Paris. I mean, of course, with Stockholm, Copenhagen, Beijing, we have done that already for a long time. But I strongly believe that the, the globally pressing problems, they are that complex, they are that wicked that... Uh, no one is able to solve them alone. You need a, a, a very wide collaboration. And there, a starting point for us is to do it together with some other cities. Just to give you an example, we all know that modern technology, is, is uh, especially artificial intelligence, will provide us with a totally new landscape concerning data. And there, of course, one of the first problems which we face is the, the ethics of that, the, the privacy issues and so on. And what we did was not that we would contact the authorities of the Finnish government, but we started a collaboration between the city of London, Barcelona, Amsterdam and New York, where our chief digital officers actually created a, a network where they are like uh, thinking uh, and, and about this issue and trying to do not maybe solve it, it would be too much, but but to take some steps forward. That also means because you, from a, your perspective as a minister and now as a city leader, is that this is almost like the city kind of running ahead in front of the kind of the, the nation because they have to solve their own problems before they occur in, in, in that In sense. some issues. And uh, they, then you could also say that due to urbanization, it's not only that more people are moving into cities, but you could say that more of everything has a urban context. I mean, by far, most pressing problem the, the mankind has is, is climate change. You could say that the cities, they are actually the, the main cause of the problem, but they also need to be the solution. And it, it's more probable that the cities will solve them. And they have, in many cases, even a more relevant toolkit than the nation states have. Of course, the effect of a city is always more limited than a effect of a nation state. But still, I believe more 
in the story that it, it is 700 global cities which will solve the, the, the climate uh, issue than 200 nation states. And there we do a lot of collaboration. So, I mean, in the business society, you always need to create something which is better than anything else have done. But in, in the city collaboration, you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. So uh, I strongly believe that artificial intelligence and, and big data will help cities around the world hugely in, in, in like adapting and, and scaling up good things which have been done somewhere. And one point I would like to come back to and maybe also end on is um, we talked about that bigger umbrella term of trust and togetherness as a kind of a value and, and the strength of the Nordics and especially in Helsinki or in Finland as well. Is this something which has to be in every initiative kind of interwoven or is there is there are there initiatives where you actually say, okay, this thing we launch or we, we trigger to build trust between, for example, our citizens in the city or between new um, people coming to the city and and the economy? Or is this something which is just as a value involved in everything? Or is this something you can actually make an example of? I think it's involved in everything. I mean, if you take, for example, our open data policy, Helsinki has opened more data than any other city in the whole world except the city of New York. And we did it all very 10 years ago. We did it not in order to make a basis for good business, which it actually is. We did it in order to increase transparency and in order to increase trust. I, 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 like, I very strongly believe that only societies built on trust can be successful in, in the future. And that is an issue which becomes more and more complicated all the time, especially during the, the technological revolution and globalization in today's world, where, it, where it's, it's not more like ordinary workers who are losing their jobs, but also the middle class, and then, which is actually a big basis for what's happening in the world. And there, we had already for 10, 20 years ago, we had a study by the, the Nordic Council of Ministers that the Nordic countries having a, a big uh, social safety net as well as uh, societies built on trust, they are less afraid of globalization than countries which are not built on trust. And because we can't stop the globalization, it is something which will, will take place in any case. I think we should create mechanisms where people are less afraid of that and are, are like motivated to navigate their way forward. And there, the, the basis of a, a equal, transparent society built on trust is something, maybe the, the most crucial element of everything. Because if you don't have the basis in order, uh, then you can't build anything on that. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, rate the show on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or maybe just tell someone about it. You can find all episodes on theidealists.co. As always, here's our last question. Who should we talk to next? I think that you should uh, interview the CDO, or is it CTO? Chief Digital Officer or Chief Technology Officer of the City of London. Theo Blackwell, because the modern chief digital officers. They really can make a change because they are somehow a link between engineers and politicians. <laughs> <laughs>